Hello, LLC community, and welcome to episode six of our mini-sode series. Um, this is uh, episode number two of our financial planning series this month, and I'm really excited uh, to introduce everyone to, we have Nicole Glenn, who's going to be joining us from LLC as my co-host, and then my longtime friend and now colleague, Samantha, Samantha Lamas. Um, Sam, if you want to just introduce Introduce yourself. We're going to be going over today um, just a second series on financial planning. You know, we had our first episode this month with Chris Stokes, and you know, given the the importance of this topic, we really thought it was important to bring in another speaker to expand on it a little bit more. So, welcome, Sam. Hi, everyone. Thank you all for having me. Um, <laughs> Brief intro, uh, my name is Samantha Lamas. I'm a behavioral researcher at Morningstar. Uh, so my team focuses on how individuals make financial decisions and the places where they might trip up. Awesome. And Sam, if you can, you know, expand on this a little bit more, you know, your background and, and how you landed at Morningstar, you know, what, why was this important to you? What, what interested you in going into this field? Sure. Um, so I studied undergrad, I studied finance as an undergrad, and my main goal was to try to help individuals avoid the financial and money mistakes I've seen so many people in my circle commit. Um, so that's why I studied finance, and that's really why I joined Morningstar as well. And when I got to Morningstar, I was surrounded by these very smart people that knew finance and these decisions in and out, and I still saw these same people making very simple mistakes. And that's when I realized that it wasn't exactly an education barrier or that people didn't know the right answer. There was something else going on and it had more to do with psychology and sociology and, and behavioral science in general. So that's how I landed on the behavioral science team and I've been here a couple of years so far. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, as somebody who's new to the financial planning world myself, I, I never thought of it that way. I never really linked that the psychology and sociology behind the decisions I was making. Um, but that makes a lot of sense. You know, everybody has their unique makeup, everybody has their unique, you know, incentives, what makes them wake up in the morning, what they're going to work for, you know, so it makes sense that that is a factor in the decisions that, um, you know, individuals are making. Yep, exactly. And it's, it has to do with motivations. It has to do, which can vary person by person, but it can also do with um, just how our minds work and how similar we are in a lot of ways and how even though we know better, even though we know the right decision, we've done the classes, we've done the math, we can still make those same mistakes when we're in difficult situations and environments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean to chime in, but it, I would love to learn more on that in regards to even the risk behavior of some individuals. I'm sure some of that plays into it too, you know, where they're just not comfortable with certain situations and there's probably life experience behind that, that triggers some of that. So I, this is going to be a really fascinating topic. Yeah. Agreed. And there is some work on that. Maybe in a few minutes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, I just want to kick things off just so we can start with the foundation edu like education around the topic. Um, Sam, can you go over, you know, what is behavioral finance? Yes. And it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a new uh, discipline, but still maybe kind of newer than finance in general. So I guess maybe new, but it's a cross-disciplinary approach to understanding how the mind works and how we make decisions. Um, so we study how people make decisions, which 
could be easy, but it's actually quite complicated. And that's mainly because the traditional idea that we're all, uh, the, the economic world's rational man theory, that we all carefully consider all of our options and make the best option based on the maximum utility of each, that doesn't quite happen in real life. And that's because we're human. And as human beings, we have limited attention, willpower, memory, and reasonability. And sometimes our environment is against us. Because of all these things, many times our mind takes shortcuts when making decisions. And we depend on, on things like our habits and, and those easy triggers when making those final decisions. So instead of studying what people should do, you know, based on finance, based on numbers and logic, we study what people actually do in behavioral science. That's fascinating. And it brings me back. At, yeah, I wish I would have finished the book, but like way back in college, a friend had recommended a book called Irrationally Rational. Mm. And it was exactly that. It was that, you know, we think that we as humans make these rational decisions. You know, we know the, the path, we know it's right and wrong, but there's actually a lot of logic that speaks to due to our habits, you know, we can we can know the rational decision and still pick a make a different choice. And it was really that's really interesting. So um, I'm really excited to learn more about it. Um, and just, you know, specific to that behavioral finance. So where can behavioral bias play into that? And what is behavioral bias? Sure. So as I as I mentioned before, because of the million decisions that we make in a given day, many times our mind takes shortcuts when making decisions. And usually these shortcuts are for the better. Mm -hmm. um, for example, let's say you're looking for a new restaurant to order takeout from one of the things you might do first is look at Google reviews and, you know, see what's ranked high. And that's probably going to get you to a pretty decent restaurant. And that's actually a, an example of a shortcut that's hurting behavior where we're following the crowd. And usually that works out well for us. Uh, but there are times when our shortcuts lead us astray and lead us to the, the wrong conclusions and actions. And that's when that shortcut becomes a bias. Mm, okay. And what kind of shortcuts do you see in your research specific to finance? Sure. So unfortunately, a lot of the shortcuts that work out really well for us in our everyday lives actually hurt us when it comes to finance and investing in general. Um, so a few of the mistakes or biases that I, I see that are most prevalent are, for example, recency bias. This is our tendency to more easily remember and bring to mind things that happened most recently versus a long time ago. And in finance, this can look like returns chasing, where we're minutely focused on performance or how uh, a, an investment has fared recently, and we're not taking in what this investment means holistically for our financial plan when making that decision. Um, I also see confirmation bias. This is our tendency to find and interpret information um, that supports our opinion. And I think this one is one of the most pernicious ones, mostly because um, it can happen to the most well-meaning investor who's trying to do their research, trying to go online, watch the news, things like that. Our mind just automatically pays more attention to information that supports our opinion. And I think this is further exasperated by you know, social media algorithms and news algorithms that keep feeding you things that you've just watched. There are similar things that you've just watched. which just continuing like a, a never-ending loop um, that can be a, a bad trigger for investors. And then loss aversion. So this is our tendency to feel losses more than gains. So 
losing $10 in a bet just feels psychologically more painful and powerful than winning $10 in a bet. And this is where people can uh, be triggered into avoiding risk. And that's why risk is an important topic because when it comes to investing, you have to take on some risk in order to gain some sort of returns. So people that are more prone to loss aversion, they're avoiding these maybe high risk, high return or, or medium risk, medium return assets. So you see those people gravitating, gravitating towards low yield assets. So things like a house or an automobile, which are, are great investments, but they don't really rack up the same returns as, for example, an investment account mm -hmm. or just investing in the market in general. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And would you say that there's like a specific demographic or, you know, from an age group standpoint that it would, would be the best and most appropriate time for them to take those high risk, high reward, um, you know, investment choices? Um, um, let's see. We do see that some individuals tend to gravitate towards low yield assets. Like, for example, uh, our team recently did some work for Hispanic Heritage Month where we looked at the savings rates and, mm -hmm. and practices of Hispanic Americans. Mm -hmm. And we do see that they focus on low yield assets, such as like a house or an automobile. However, there could be multiple explanations for that, one of which is loss aversion. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also existing in the research this idea that when it comes to income lower income individuals focus on these type of low yield assets first and then work their way up to investment accounts mm -hmm. um so there's a mix of explanations there but we did see that that link between low yield assets um and hispanic americans okay yeah i mean just speaking personally to my experience and as i've like uh, you know one of the things i mentioned a couple of weeks back when we had our first series with Chris Stokes on financial planning was I'm new to the financial planning world myself, you know, post pandemic was really when it um, was emphasized to me that importance of planning for the future. I saw a lot of people in my community and even friends go through job loss, you know, due to the pandemic and things that were outside of their control. And it really had me reflect on where I was in my finances. And that is what ultimately led me to make the choice to um, you know, find a financial advisor that was suitable for me. Um, but I, I completely like hearing the definitions of, you know, the, what you just explained, I am definitely someone who has gone through like, you know, uh, risk aversion, you know, that, that, you know, that loss of $10 or, you know, you make a joke out of it, but I was like, I'd, you'd never see me go to a casino or you'd never see me buy a lottery ticket because I'm so nervous. And I was always conditioned to think like, you know, if you have it, why lose it? You know, if I don't risk my $20, I still have $20. And that is something that I was always kind of raised around. Um, and I've been working with my financial advisor on that and, and understanding, you know, what um, like long term, what my long term goals are and how, you know, my investment account can really help me plan for that. But understanding that there is going to be risk and, and that that's okay. So, and I, I think it just came with, that continued education piece, you know, and reconditioning myself to understanding that, you know, this is a part of that financial planning world. And, Nicole, think, you know, what I was going to say, I think for me, like listening to what you just said, Sam, it's like, I'm thinking back through stages of my life because I'm 39 now. And there were times when one factor led to another. So you had said, 
the aversion and then listening to the recent things or, you know, things mm -hmm. that are happening in someone's lives. And so I had some of that. And then I transitioned to a different state and I opened a business and it's the same thing, even with our extra funds, I wanted to make sure that those were invested even as a company. I know I'm mm -hmm. going per, you know, personal to company and I'm like, Oh, I can't take much risk with that. So I think it's understanding, you know, where people are in their lives and, they need to understand how much risk they want to put in and have that cushion though. And that was one of the things that Chris Stokes made mention to us in the last episode was having that backup fall, you know, fall down plan. When things go wrong, you have that cushion. So therefore maybe you can invest a little, little easier, breathe a little easier throughout that transition of, of the different phases of your investment life. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think it's really important what you mentioned too about in today's environment, in today's society with all the influences of social media, it can be even harder because, you know, exactly what you said, you know, I go on, I have every social media handle, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you know, mm -hmm. and it follows those trends. So it's like I make one purchase or I click on one link and the next thing I know, all of my content, the next time I log in is centered around, you know, what I just liked or what I commented on. And so based off of that, I'm just, you continue to go down that same funnel and I can see how that will create those biases around, you know, what I'm either what I'm purchasing saying what I'm viewing and it'll make it can make it more difficult to find the right information and the right resources um, so yeah I think that in 2021 it can be really difficult but also can be used to your benefit if you just understand yeah. what to search for yeah Agreed. It's it's all in the ways in which our environment can be impacting us. And environment can be, you know, what you're intaking through social media or online account, or even just what stage of the life of your life you're in, or what decisions you're making. It's behavioral science is really a study of how all these other factors that really shouldn't have an impact on our decisions have a huge impact on our decisions. So, yeah, mm -hmm. agreed, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's so this is fascinating. And so for those of us who are trying to become more aware, you know, of, of what our goals are and staying aligned to them, uh, you know, are there resources or any tips that, you know, you give to those who are just starting out to kind of help identify maybe that behavioral bias? Yeah, so there's um a few tips, but at least when it comes to goal identification, we actually did a whole research project on helping individuals get to goals that, you know, truly matter to them. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we chose to focus on this is because people often neglect how difficult of a process goal identification actually is. You know, you meet with your advisor for the first time, they ask you, what are your top three financial goals? And then you just have to spit something out. And then next thing you know, you have a whole financial plan focused on these three goals that maybe were just, were just at the top of your mind when you were talking to them. Um, so we developed a, a program or this process, this three-step process to help individuals think more thoughtfully about their goals and just uh, get to goals that maybe they have more of a connection to. And just as a side note, the first time I spoke with an advisor, they actually asked me this question and I found myself just 
telling them something just off the top of my head, even though it was after we did this research and I knew how difficult a decision it was. So I, I really recommend um, either using the process that we created or using some process when it comes to that step of the financial process. Um, so in our research, we developed this three-step very simple exercise that just breaks down the process for individuals. So step one is uh, write down your top three financial goals right off the top of your head. So that's what's usually done in the industry today. Step two is that you look at a master list of financial goals that we develop by looking at existing academic research, industry, media, etc., cetera, um, which you can always add to if need be. And then we ask the participant to go through each option and check off the ones that are important to them, but they just forgot to mention the first time around, and even cross out ones that they just didn't, reson didn't resonate with them. And then step three, we ask them to take the goals they initially wrote down and also the goals they checked off in the master list, and this time write their top three financial goals in pen, so they're their final top three. What we found was that 70% of people actually changed um, one of their top three goals after going through this simple three-step process, mm -hmm. which I think is a bit alarming because these are the goals that people revolve their entire plans around, and we didn't have the right ones in mind. Um, and the reason why this process works is because, one, we're forcing individuals to slow down. We're giving them permission to take more time. You, know, you don't have to spit something out in the 20 second interval you have between the advisor asking the question and you having to say something. Um, but we're also separating the generative from the evaluative process. So people can go based off of these goals that we gave them. They don't have to come up with goals in those 20 seconds and they can spend more time deciding whether or not this goal is right for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a simple three-step process. We have it available online as a PDF, or you can, you know, follow what I said and develop your own. But what we found is that this simple process helped people get to goals that maybe they have a better connection to, which is really important when it comes to your financial plan. Well, I agree. It's when you think about groups and collaboration, right? So yeah. if I walk into a room and I go, this is what we're doing. And then I actually open up because my goal as the leader is to do something, right? But then when I open up and let other people kind of give their input and say, hey, this is what, you know, I've done in my experience or this is what's helped other people. I tend to open up and listen to that. And then it does change the course of our direction to that outcome. Mm -hmm. And for myself and when I was in this situation where I'm talking with the financial advisor, he was presenting me questions on things I didn't think about at all ever because you're always thinking about today. And I think humans are conditioned yep. to worry about what's going on right now that you you just go, I can't even imagine what's going to happen when I'm 55 or 60. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those so far-fetched concepts because we're so busy right now. Let's go yep. that we just operate in that fashion. So you're right, Sam. I mean, that, I would love to have that list. We can share that. Uh, that link with the audience so they could take a look at some of those things because this is such a big topic that I don't even think people understand what direction sometimes that they should be going with their goals. You know, it just maybe I don't have any credit card debt at the end, you know, yeah, there's so much more to learn and understand. So we would love that list from you that we can put out as a link to the, to the listeners too. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll forward it to to both of you. But that's actually that that idea that we're focused on the here and the now is actually a a, a term called hyperbolic discounting, where we don't know who we're going to be 30 years from now. Why should you take care of this this person, a stranger that you don't know, you might never become, um, instead of taking care of the you in, in this time and, and day. So um, yeah, agreed. That's one of the principles or one of the ideas that we were trying to combat by using this process. Wow, this is this is so interesting. I'm like going down. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like every time you're talking, Pam, I'm like thinking about just a different process and a different way of thinking and how I have been a victim of this, uh, like this school of thought myself. And, um, you know, exactly what Nicole, you mentioned, too. It's like when I first thought about goal setting, I definitely mimicked the like societal norm of like uh, get a house, pay off my student loans, don't have credit card debt. Like those are my goals. And I, at some on some social media platform or either through my parents or friends, like I was conditioned to like learn those goals. And that's what I regurgitated. And I didn't really have a connection to them though. It was just like this high level, this is what normal people do at my age. You know, I have a job, I have a stable income. This is what I should think about. Um, and it wasn't until I started taking that time and that actual, like taking the time to connect with myself on like, what's really important for me in the next five years, 10 years. And, you know, some of those were still on that list, but others were some short-term goals, like getting a puppy, you know, this was something that I wanted to plan for and make sure I had a, bu a budget for. Um, and that wasn't necessarily on my goal list um, before, but now I, you know, I have her and, um, you know, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing addition to my life. So I do think it's really, this list will be like very valuable, especially for those who, you know, one of the points that I had looked up before um, our call today was just those like the percentage of adults who have a financial planner or are financially educated. Um, and it, it, I was really surprised to see that about like 30% of consumers, you know, in a 2021 survey, you know, either ha have a financial planner or advisor at their disposal. So that really had me thinking, you know, and of those statistics, most of them had, you know, a six figure salary or more. So what resources are really available for those who don't meet that salary based income um, and maybe can't afford to pay for a private advisor? Um, so hearing that Morningstar has, you know, these articles and these resources available, I think is really invaluable for, to those who maybe aren't ready to commit to a full investment portfolio, um, but really want to start that process and understanding what can, they can do. So um, to echo what Nicole said, I think it'll be great to, to get that link and we'll definitely share that um, with our with our um, followers and subscribers on LLC and then on our LinkedIn's as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, there's plenty of resources. One of the good things about technology and online things is there's plenty of resources online for investors who maybe don't have enough money saved to talk to a financial advisor yet. Mm -hmm. And Morningstar.com is a great example of plenty of articles on investment planning, retirement planning, financial education, those sorts of steps. And on those, we, we also have plenty of articles on behavioral science and different interventions that you can input into your process to avoid some of the biases I spoke about earlier. Um, and I can go through a few of, those, few of those. I know we have some time on the clock. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one one of the 
top things we always suggest to individuals to avoid behavior biases is, is one, focus on your goals. It's hard for you to make a drastic change to your portfolio or your investment plan when you have that idea of a, you know, um, I don't know, a retirement home in your mind, because you know that you're putting that retirement home in, or maybe not home, maybe that's the best one, but a dream house in Mexico for you to retire. Um, it's hard to put that at risk when you're making financial decisions, when you have that in your mind, when you know where you're working towards. So that's sort mm -hmm. of serves as a good motivation. Um, we also have uh, set a regular schedule to check your portfolio. So as I mentioned earlier, confirmation bias is, is a very dangerous thing and also recency bias, um, which is that once again, our tendency to over rely on recent returns and investing. Um, so having that regular schedule of checking your portfolio of how often you check your portfolio, maybe even how often you check um, different news outlets, financial news outlets, for example, can help you keep your biases and emotions in check because you're not constantly being bombarded by all these headlines of a drop in the market or the next fad to invest in. Um, so Nat, as you mentioned earlier, if you're constantly getting a video of a TikTok video of top five stocks to invest in right now, eventually it's going to get into your head and you're going to buy those stocks. Um, so even, you know, turning off those notifications every once in a while might be a good option. Um, and when it comes to fighting confirmation bias specifically, one of the best tactics is probably the easiest, which is forcing yourself to explain the opposite. So if you're set on selling a certain investment, try to ask yourself, why would someone else buy that same investment right now? So forcing yourself to take on that different mindset. Mm. And with any of these tools, I think one of the most important aspects is to make sure that you put it into your process. You can find any financial tip or trick or process to, to follow, but if you don't actually follow it, you know, it's not going to do anything. So what we see is a lot of people taking these, these tips and then they use it maybe once and then they forget about it. Um, so I would say write down what process you're going to follow when making a financial plan, when checking your portfolio, when making that investment decision, um, so that when you, it's time to do that again, you have this five steps to go through before pressing the trade or pressing the buy button. Um, yeah. Number one. I, that, that last point makes me think of a quote that I had uh, seen on LinkedIn the other week that said, you know, discipline will take you places, motivation will not. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that, you know, what you said reigns true. You know, it's a, a lot of people will, you'll get so excited about these tips that you saw, or, you know, maybe you took a course and you're like really like living off of that initial high of like, I'm going to change my life, but it's very short term and short lived. You know, you try it once or you do it for a week. So it's creating those condition, conditional habits, you know, and that routine that works for you um, around these plans. Agreed. There's a power to habits and shortcuts that I think is commonly not thought of when it comes to finance. People think habits are bad things or shortcuts are bad things. But if you have a habit of always making sure you save 10% of your income right when you get your paycheck and you just keep that up, you'll have a lot saved by the end of the year. So it's these quick habits that you barely think of as long as they're good habits. You can really use them to your benefit. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Sam, I mean, I think this has been so helpful. I really appreciate it. Are there any closing comments that you wanted to make or Nicole, did you have any lasting questions while we wrap up here? I don't, but I thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been 27 minutes and I'm like, Sam, what else do you have? I know. Sam, I'm like, oh. it, it, it hits all of us in every aspect of our life. And so it's just been very intriguing. But no, back to what Natalie said, is there anything else that's a great nugget to share with the audience, you know, when, as we're uh, closing up this conversation today? Yeah, I think my, my last takeaway would be that I would say not to ignore the ways in which our, you know, how our minds work, the psychology of investing can impact your financial choices and not to be embarrassed or, or anything by it. It's part of what makes us human. These decisions are hard for us. There's, there's more to it than the, the math and the numbers involved. And, um, you know, give yourself some time and space to make these decisions and don't just let others tell you what to do, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great closing point. And, you know, Sam, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show today. Um, it's been so great. You know, I mentioned in my posts, you know, we've known each other since college. For those who don't know, Sam and I played soccer together. Uh, go DU stars. <laughs> uh, so to see us both here now, you know, I'm just so glad that you were able to join us today and give us a little taste of just a really important topic, financial planning. And, you know, we just want to welcome you to the LLC community. And, you know, we really loved having you on and we'd love to connect with you in the future for other opportunities. Um, and for those of you who really enjoyed today's series and you would like to get in touch with Sam, uh, her full name is Samantha Lamas. You can find her on LinkedIn. Um, and also you feel free to go to morningstar.com if you would like to look up any articles um, that, that are a great resource and check our comments uh, for that PDF that we were talking about so for goal setting. And uh, just thank you everybody for joining today and uh, we'll close off this series. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.